Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Now, I don't know if I have enough time to teach on this, but I want to run through this as fast as I can. You see, any experienced pastor knows enough to be as elementary as possible because the true measure of knowledge is your ability to teach what you know to a child. And sometimes... It is not elementary because it is simple. It is elementary because the people think they already know it, but they have to be reminded again and again. The Lord spoke to me as I was coming here. He said, when Saul encountered me on his way to Damascus, the glory hit him to the ground. But then he heard the voice saying, stand up. Go to Damascus, and it shall be told you what you shall do. You have to understand that the encounters that we experience in this ministry are not for nothing. They are not just feel-good experiences. They must be instructive. They must, they must guide your action. So when God touches you, whether it is dramatic or not, there must be an instruction to go, a new instruction. Go, and it shall be told you what you shall do. So when God touches you, sometimes it will come with a divine instruction. If you are sick, of course, you know, the touch is enough. You are just going to be healed. But if the area in which God wants to touch you is something that requires the manifestation of divine and practical wisdom, even if God touched you, you won't see the manifestation if you don't act. And that's why Paripasu the manifestation of the spirit must be adequate teaching. Paul called it instruction in righteousness so that you know how to move, how to operate. The importance of this cannot be overemphasized. So now, when we have special programs, Holy Ghost programs, healing programs, a number of people come around and then we see the power and the fire of God and all of that. But listen, God's ultimate plan for you is not to experience what people call a revival once in a while. It is for you to live in it. Did you hear what I said? In fact, we excuse the terminology revival because it's common. But revival in the Bible means something else. Revival in the Bible actually means salvation. That's what revival is. You have quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. When you are quickened, you are revived. It's a salvific ter terminology. And so when it happens once and for all, you now learn the science of fire. That's what I call it. So that you learn how to stay afloat in the things of God perpetually. That's God's ultimate plan for your life. Not that you have one great program and then your devotional favor dwindles, then you wait for another program to jack it up again. No, that's not God's plan for your life. 
And the reason why this is important is because, I mean, we've had such a great month, haven't we? Oh my God, listen, you had such, I've been following all the wonderful things that have been happening here. God is amazing. In this ministry, God has made greatness come on. When I'm seeing what God is doing in Abuja, in Ibadan, in Portacourt, in, you know, you see, this is how we know that it is New Testament ministry. Hallelujah. The real greatness of Celebration Church is not just in the settlement. It is in the fact that God has made it replicable. It's beautiful. Hallelujah. And I want you to sustain what God has done. I said something, you know, to introduce my teaching two weeks ago that I just want to re-emphasize today. You know, in elementary science, there is something called the fire triangle that explains how fire is produced. And we were taught that for fire to be produced, three things must be present at the same time. Heat, oxygen, and fuel. Present at the same time. So heat for ignition. Fuel, something to be consumed. And oxygen to sustain it. If you remove oxygen, the fire will not be sustained. It will go out. So all those three elements must be present at the same time. If you remove one, the fire is extinguished. In fact, what extinguishers do is to remove one of the elements of the fire triangle. That's the simple strategy. Either to suck the oxygen out or something, or to reduce the heat. That's why water is an extinguisher. Are you getting what I'm saying? And the reason why that is fascinating is because once upon a time, fire was a mystery. Every one of us has had an experience, not every one of us, most of us, I've had an experience where you were playing with stone and you just struck it and you saw a spark and you were excited. Did that happen to you? And maybe you tried it again and it happened one out of 20 times. That is a picture of many people's work with God. Trial and error. Sometimes their devotional life is wow over the top and sometimes it's just complacent and they're wondering how can I have a consistent work with God? And because they cannot explain the science of spiritual fire, they just call those experiences once in a while revival as if nothing they did had anything to do with it. But meanwhile, consciously or unconsciously, there are some things that people had done <laughs> to make that experience happen. So, some of the great revivals, for instance, how did they start? A group of people gathered together to pray for a long time. You can't pray for a long time and tell me, oh, ah, something happened. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you there is an architecture for revival. If you put this and that and this in place, you will see it inevitably. And that's what I'm trying to explain to you. Hallelujah. I don't have ups and downs in my work with God. I don't. I stopped having ups and downs in my work with God 2010. Since then, 
I have been consistent. Those who know me know. I stopped having ups and downs in my work with God. And I want to show you how. I want to open us, I want to share with you a text, a very important text, very simple, basic. You, you wonder what does this have to do with it, but it has everything to do with it. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. I have to move faster now. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. I'll read it from here for time's sake. It says, Fight the good fight of faith. Can you say fight the good fight of faith? Preach it to the person by your side once you go. Personalize it. Say, I will fight the good fight of faith. Listen, and this is so important. It teaches us that faith is not a walk in the park. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to develop stamina and consistency in spite of contradiction. Your faith will be challenged. And so you're going to have to fight. And Christians who have not learned this are usually surprised when they have a hitch in their walk with God. And when something challenges their conviction, they are surprised. This happens mostly in a practical sense. You know, some people, when they get on fire spiritually, it's almost as if all hell breaks loose. They will have problems in their job, in their marriage, and you know, and you're wondering, am I doing something wrong? And if you are not trained, you wonder, where is God? What is happening? Nothing is wrong with you, brother. Fight! And for my emphasis today, especially when it comes to your devotional life, some people are surprised. Pastor, I don't know why my prayer life is, is just dragging. What do you mean you don't know why? Many of us, our definition of a vibrant Christian life is an automatic Christian life. And there is no such thing. It's a myth. Are you listening to me? It's a myth. There is no automatic Christian life. There is what to do to sustain what God has done. Did you hear what I said? You must partner with the Spirit. Fan the flames of the gifts of the Spirit. Fight the good fight of faith. It's it's so important. It can't be overemphasized. You know, so Paul tells the church at Galatia, in Galatians 5 verse 15, Something very important. And this is such a valuable knowledge. You see, when you're reading the Bible, you see what is called the development of knowledge. There are things that were not always known. For instance, the church wasn't always aware of the works of the devil. Jesus exposed it. And so someone can have what the doctor calls an ailment. And Jesus sees that is a spirit of infirmity. He, he exposed the works of darkness. Jesus was the first person to cast out devils in the entire Bible. He was not the first to heal the sick. There were things that Jesus did first. Come on, are you listening to me? So This is so important. So there is a development of knowledge. So now... We come to Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So we see that some things that we call sickness are actually the oppression of the devil, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That's a development of knowledge. 
I went to a university. I gave a word of knowledge. There's a lady here. You're almost 20 and you bedwet. Come out. You know, one of them, you know, because of time, I couldn't pray for all of them. So one of them came to me in the office. As I laid hands on her, a masculine voice came out. It was a demon. Are you listening to me? I'm sure a doctor has a term for bedwetting. But it was a spiritual attack. Are you getting me? And I said, you foul devil in the name of Jesus, come out. And bed waiting stopped. Are you listening to me? So in the same way, when it comes to devotion, there is something very important that we didn't always know. The dynamics of the flesh and the spirit, the consciousness of the tripartite nature of man, we didn't always know it. Or even if we knew it theoretically, Jesus taught on it in such a way. Do you know what it means? To find someone who ought to be praying, sleeping, and to say, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once upon a time, you judged people solely by their actions. Are you getting what I'm saying? But for you to see someone doing something and to separate what he's doing from the original intention of his soul, that is a spiritual expose. It's a teaching. It's a teaching that it doesn't matter how you love the Lord and love his law. As long as you are in this body, there is another law trying, trying to war against the law of your mind and trying to bring you into captivity to the law of sin and death. And so Paul tells the church at Galatia, he says, the flesh was against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Now that you have the Holy Spirit, that sinful propensity is not irresistible, but it is still there. Are you getting what I'm saying? So now, this is very important. I'm explaining this so that you won't be surprised why you struggle to pray. There is war. Don't you understand? He says the flesh was against the spirit. There is war. And so you were wrong to just be lackadaisical and expect that your prayer life will flourish. You were wrong to expect that every single day you will wake up and the heavens will just be open. You will feel like angels are hovering. Sometimes it will be as if there are padlocks on your roof. You know what I'm saying now. Some of you will feel like you, you feel it right now. I'm here to shatter it forever. You see, and you shatter it forever with understanding. With understanding. So you, you know what it is. You know how to power through it. There are some things some of us have not learned. Let me tell you this. Do you know why it was powerful that Jesus was telling Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Do you know why it was powerful? Because what Peter was experiencing, he was experiencing too. What was he praying? Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. Ah, sometimes we don't understand that the people who are encouraging us in the things of God are experiencing the same thing. So the reason why he could see Peter and descend, ah, 
His spirit wants to pray. His flesh is the problem. It's because he also wanted to go to the cross. You are not here. So now, how do you do the will of God when it's hard? That's what I'm trying to explain to you. How do you pray when it's hard? How do you study when it's hard? There is a training in your Gethsemane. That's where character is built. That's where stamina is developed. That's where spiritual maturity happens. You know what spiritual maturity is? You can feel free to define spiritual maturity as growing in the knowledge of Christ, but that's not complete. Spiritual maturity, never forget this, is growing in the knowledge of Christ and superimposing that knowledge on your daily experience. That's what supernatural spiritual maturity is. Growing in the knowledge of Christ and superimposing that knowledge on your daily experience. So for instance, it is one thing to know Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, we are saved by grace through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So in spiritual maturity, there is acknowledgement and there is manifestation. You must acknowledge what you have received and you must manifest what you have received. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I know. Don't just say, I know who I am. I know who I am. I think it's okay to stay there. It says that you should show forth the praises of him, that's where the work comes in. Show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous lights. There is a manifestation. There is something to do with the knowledge. And that's where the work comes in. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's where growth comes in. You grow. It's painful, but you grow. It takes effort, but you grow. To grow in the consciousness of who you are so that the revival can be constant. Are you with me? Are you in church? <laughs> it's a training. You will power through it at Gethsemane. <laughs> you might even be vulnerable. Better vulnerable in Gethsemane than at Golgotha. Are you listening to me? In Gethsemane, handle it. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass over me. I don't really care how vulnerable what you say. The outcome is the most important. The Bible says that he was strengthened. That's what matters. Your walk with God will enter a new level when you learn how to handle your Gethsemane experience. Gethsemane is where you fight your flesh. You align your flesh to the will of God. 
You don't just say, ah, I don't feel like praying. Pastor, what do I do? What do you mean, what do you do? What does your pastor do? <laughs> you battle it. Sometimes, one prayer session is not enough. Just like Jesus, you take a break. You do other things, you come back. You take a break. You do other things, you come back. But you're not going to stop. For he's a rewarder of those who what? It's work, it's diligence. Have you worked hard for anything in your life? Spiritual maturity is hard work. There is a diligence to it. You stay on it. You stay on it. There will be days like that. You just, you know what to do. David described it. Just imagine. I know you read it all the time. Psalm 103. Just imagine someone writing this and saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. See, admonishing others is something we are used to. We know what it's like to admonish others. But when you write a letter to yourself, are you listening to me? David wrote a psalm. He wrote a letter and it was addressed to himself. Do you know that's a secret? Do you know writing is powerful? It is one thing to know things in your head. It's another thing to write. Try it. It's powerful. It's also powerful to say it to yourself. Just imagine someone saying, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why is he telling himself that? Because his soul doesn't all the time want to bless. Have you wanted to curse someone and the Lord restrains you? Sometimes your soul wants to curse. Especially when you're driving. Or some people who just come on your Twitter, on your Facebook, and say some silly things. <laughs> Every spiritually mature person knows about that. Bless the Lord! Oh, my soul. That's the language of someone fighting. <laughs> I fight. No, that is within me. Bless his holy name. All. Meaning, my spirit must align with, my soul must align with my spirit. They both, they, all. That's, that's spiritual maturity. To renew your mind and to present your body to God. That's spiritual maturity. Bless the Lord. Oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Many times you try to forget. And then it's so powerful it begins to itemize. Ah, this thing is powerful. You should try it. May the Lord teach you to count your blessings. When you start writing, ah, he has healed. Listen, oh my God, 
Oh my God. Oh my God. Sometimes we minimize great things. You know, something happened, something very funny happened on Twitter. At Reboot Camp Port Harcourt, one new member of our was it not a new member of our church? Heard that I was going to Port Harcourt and said, Pastor, thank God. I said, What is it? And she said, My nephew, just two years old, doesn't see at all. He's totally blind. He says, I'm happy you are going there. I will tell them to come to the service. My flesh said, ha! <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, there's a way we get high in the, in the kingdom. We smoke. <laughs> so I said, smoke, smoke, smoke. Spiritual, you understand? I was on the stage preaching. I just shouted, where is that boy? Bring him here. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, that sometimes I watch videos of things I've done and I'm like, ah, I'm at the crazy. I'm, I must have been crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know. Prayed for him. Long story short. His auntie came to me just on Sunday, excited and saying, he's seeing now. <laughs> Medically confirmed. You know, now he's seeing, but his eyes is just like a normal person who can see but has some eye defects. So he's using, he's using glasses, what he's saying. So I put a testimony, and if you know me well, I don't exaggerate testimonies. I could have just said he's seen. Do you understand? But I just said, yeah, he has some other health issues and he's using glasses, but he's seen. And some people said, but why, why didn't it happen totally? <laughs> you know? I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, go and check it. It's right there, you know. But why did it happen? Wonders will never end. <laughs> Hallelujah. But listen to me. Now, some of you are saying, ah, how could they do that? Do you know in our small way, we do that many times? We despise some of the little testimonies that we see. You need to learn to count your blessings. I'm telling you, it will surprise you how petty you've been. If you count your blessings, it will surprise you. Who forgives all my iniquities? It says, as far as the east is from the west, he separates our sins from us. Wow. Wow. So when you begin to consider, even if it's just salvation, you know I said it, I think at the watch night service, I said, a year where the gospel prevails in your life and around you is a good year. No matter what you're experiencing. So when you say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He has forgiven all my iniquities. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. 
You see, when Paul was teaching the church at you know, Rome, I have to move fast now. This is taking longer than I planned. He said, not knowing how to pray as you ought is an infirmity. He put it this way. He says, the Spirit of God helps our infirmities, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. Have you read that text before? And in almost every other place in the Bible, infirmity, many other places, some other places, let me put it that way. In the Bible, infirmity was used to describe physical disease and ailments. But now he talks about a different disease, not knowing what to pray for. He says the disease. It's an infirmity. He uses the same word used for diseases in some instances to describe not knowing what to pray for. Sometimes <laughs> our prayer is so laughable. We don't even know what to desire. Now, think about Saul. I've touched on this before, but I just want to, you know, it's very much in line with what we're saying. Think about Saul. Saul had been approved of God as the next king. And so now, God wants to orchestrate his part so that he can meet the prophet and the prophet can anoint him king. Saul doesn't know that. One day, his father's donkey strays from the house. Imagine how frustrated he must have felt. Oh, what kind of problem is this? You know, maybe he even cried out to God, God, why is this happening to me? Where are you? Because he goes out looking for the donkey. Just going up and down. The first day passes, he's still looking for this donkey, frustrated, tired, angry. And then he has an idea. Let's go to the prophet. I know he has prophetic gifts. He can tell us where the donkey is. Listen, you have to understand, prophets in those days are slightly different from prophets today. A prophet in those days... <laughs> was like the direct representative of God. Are you getting what I'm saying? You have to understand what the prophet ordered. Many of the things they taught were scripture. No prophet in today's day can boast of that. So now you literally stand before Imago Day. I've touched on that, right? What do you want? He wants a donkey. Hey, think about that. Just imagine Saul has the opportunity to stand before God. He has a request. He doesn't know that he's destined to be the next king. Are you getting what I'm saying? But in Saul's mind, what is his utmost priority? Donkey. Think about this. This is what many of us do. I, I, want, I just want my donkey back. <laughs> And the prophet says, forget about your donkey. Come in, eat with us, dine with us. And after like two days, she just brought out a jar of oil and said, is it not because God has anointed you commander of his inheritance? She knows, this is, this is the problem we have. She, she want a donkey and God wants you to be king. Captain of his inheritance. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, 
What if you knew that that problem you're obsessed, with, obsessed with is leading you to your destiny? <laughs> that obsession is leading you to your destiny. You think it's about the donkey. God has something bigger in store. What if you learn to trust God? Trust his word. And so you can look through the challenges, look through the limitations in your heart, look through all the things that they said to you in the office, all the negative things they said, you're not good enough. You know, it feels like, have you, have you ever tried to intercede when you are going through emotional hurt? Have you ever come to God, hypothetically, looking for a donkey and God is discussing other things? <laughs> and God is telling you to intercede for the nations. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Power through it. Learn to press through it. Paul told the church at Colossae, he says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ seated at on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. So now, someone says, I don't know why my desire for the world is dwindling. It's not automatic. You are to set it. He said, set your affections. Some of you are observing your affections instead of setting it. You're observing your prayer life instead of controlling it. Observing your study life instead of controlling it. Set your affections. There is a science of spiritual fire. Learn it, do it. You practice the Gethsemane training when you, desire, you, des, you, you, you just decide that all the days of your life, whether you feel like it or not, you will pray. That's Gethsemane. Praying when it's hard. Praying when all your flesh, your body, soul, you know, are saying, don't do it, don't do it, and you stay there. And the prayer is harder than usual. Your sweat is like droplets of blood. That's where stamina is built. <laughs> A mature person does not observe his feeling. He observes his spirit. He presses with his spirit. Jesus had that training. He could see someone struggling in his devotion and could say the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. If Peter had the knowledge that Jesus had, he wouldn't have been struggling. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is the difference, separating the intentions of the spirit from the limitations of the flesh. And knowing that I am to use my spirit to bring my flesh to alignment. That's what Gethsemane is for. And one of the most powerful ways God does that. After Saul had been anointed, you know what he was told? This is, is this 1 Samuel 10 now, verse 5. The prophet said, on your way returning, you will find a company of prophets. He says, and when you find yourself in their, in their company, let me read it to you. It says, 
you will come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass that when you come thither to the city, you shall meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with the psaltery and the tablet and the pipe and the harp before them, and they shall prophesy. Next, it says, and the spirit of the Lord shall come upon you, and you shall prophesy with them, and you shall be turned to another man. Let me tell you this. When it comes to consistency in your work with God, the most powerful key is not prayer, as important as prayer is. We have several teachings on prayer. You know we value prayer in this church. If you talk about the most invaluable key to a sustainable work with God, it is not prayer. It is not Bible study. The most indispensable is fellowship with the saints. You know why? Because every other thing is connected to fellowship with the saints. When you fellowship with the saints, everything you are supposed to know and do will be ignited. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's just the same way fire works. You see, only one item needs to be ignited. All other items, they don't need a touch. They don't need a match. Just by proximity to fire. Are you getting what I'm saying? Just by proximity, it will continue to spread. That's how fire works and that's how the spirit works. Fellowship. The most important. So now, he didn't read a book on prophecy. He wasn't told seven steps to prophesy. He said, you will find yourself in the company of prophets. And he said, what will happen? The spirit of God will come upon you and you shall prophesy. I want to beg you in the name of Jesus. Some of you, maybe you joined this program because you heard we had a special program. You know, that's wonderful. I'm glad you come once in a while. But listen, if you want your work with God to be consistent, you must find a good church and stay. You must. Philippians 1.25. I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Joy in the faith and fellowship are cause and effect. Fellowship and joy cause and effect. Fellowship and progress cause and effect. You want to grow consistently? Fellowship. It will ignite your prayer life. It will ignite your study life. It will ignite every other thing. You shall find yourself in the company of prophets and prophesy. Listen, if this is one thing you learn today, it will change your life. Practice it. You know, sometimes you don't feel like praying. Go to a prayer meeting and sit down. Even if, even if you feel you are so dead that you won't feel like joining, just sit down. Can I tell you something? I learned something very powerful in my personal devotion. I don't keep my mind empty. Even when I don't feel like praying, I will play worship. I will play a sermon. Just play it and be doing your work. Be doing your chores. Some of you know what I'm saying. Just, just be playing. Play the music and be doing chores. You, you say you don't feel like praying, but just play a video of someone praying. <laughs> play a video of someone praying. 
you must continue to see who you want to be. This is the biggest secret of consistency. Continue to see it. They, they won't teach you. You see, it's in your spirit to replicate your destiny. When you see someone doing something that is consistent with your destiny, the desire will well up. I've said it a million times. When you see Jesus walk on water, Peter must say, can I join you? Can I join you? Can I join you? You know, when I see all the great manifestations of the Spirit, you know, <laughs> in this particular branch, my mind goes back almost all the time to where it all started. Remember the time you visited my room, you know? <laughs> so you visited my room as a student, and we were praying, and then something strange happened. I think for the first time, was that the first time it happened to you? For the first time, he and the person, you know, that was with him, just fell under the power. Boom. And so when he got up, he asked me questions about it. And we just talked about it briefly. Or did we even talk about it briefly? You know? And we just talked about it briefly. And they had a meeting right after. And he went there and did the exact same things. Come on, are you listening to me? It's literally how it happens. It's contagious. Praise the Lord. Did you hear what I said? I want to encourage you. Listen, you might have had bad experiences in the past, church hurt and all of that. Listen, when you've had bad experiences with church, don't ditch church, change church. Because God's mind about fellowship will never change. God has no word, no provision for an individual Christian. Every epistle was either written to a church or a pastor of a church. You can't claim to be a Christian reading an epistle reading to Colossae. The church in Colossae. The church in Philippi. Then you as an individual. <laughs> it's not talking to you. Are you with me? Think about it. All through the Bible, it's the same thing. Spiritual gifts thrive in community. Thrive in community. You want to flow in the spirit, and that's why it matters the church you attend. A church is not defined by their statement of faith. A church is defined by their demonstrations of faith. It's not enough for you to put in your statement of faith, we believe in healing. You must heal. You must pray for the sick. It's not enough what you believe in your, on your website. We believe. Mm -mm -mm -mm. What do you do? Because really, that's what really ignites you. You must see it. You must see it done. That's what raises your faith level. Are you with me? Yes, and that's what we're going to demonstrate today. Yeah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you this. What is the theme of the month again? Holy Ghost, right? You need to understand the teaching of the Holy Ghost that we're doing is specific to the New Testament church. The Holy Ghost had operations in the old. Let me tell you something. If the man of God heals the sick, 
That's still different from New Testament. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? It happened in the old. If the man of God raises the dead, it's not new. What makes it new? The spirit will come upon all flesh on the last day. All flesh. If it is not common, it is not New Testament. If it is only the pastor walking in it, it is not New Testament. Are you getting what I'm saying? It will come upon all flesh, sons and daughters, servants and handmaidens, old and young, rich and poor, everybody, so that when 120 people are in the upper room, suddenly there is a sound of a rushing mighty wind and cloven tongues of fire sits not just on Peter, not just on John, not just on James, but on everybody. Now, that's New Testament. So when we come together, how is it that each one of us has a sound? Has a hymn? Has a tongue? And now he's advising. Because if he lets us loose, there'll be chaos. He says, let everything be done decently and in order. We must learn to take tongues because every one of us has something to say. We must learn to take turns because every one of us has something to show, something to do. Listen, if there, if there is no need for the teaching on order in your church, your church is doing it wrong. Don't be that kind of Christian. They say, who has a word? You, you never, you never have a word. Never. When they say, um, who will lead us in prayer? You never volunteer anything. Go and read your Bible. In the synagogue, go and check all the things. Even Jesus, when they said, who has an exhortation? He just opened. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Listen, you need to learn to declare it. Go and read Acts 13. The same thing with Paul. They said, who has an exhortation? He started, he did a commentary of the entire Old Testament. You must have something to say. Hallelujah. You have something to offer. <laughs> if you have the Holy Ghost, you have something to offer. I said, if you have the Holy Ghost, you have something to offer. A psalm, a hymn, a tongue, a revelation, a prophecy. And if you've not done it before, don't worry. We will, we will stir it up in you. <laughs> you are in the right place. You are in the right place. We will stir it up in you. I charge this at most fear. There is glory in here. Glory in here. Sit, everybody. I charge glory in here. It's because you can do it. Sing, I jump, I jump. This atmosphere came and they were born. Take a 
Listen to me. When you want to learn how to stare atmospheres, learn the ministry of music. Did you notice? Saul was told. He said, the prophets that you will see, you will see, you will see them with the psaltery and with the harp. Music has had something to do with the prophetic from the beginning of time. No wonder Paul says, I will sing in the spirit and sing in my understanding also. Have you noticed this atmosphere has changed? So that's where we're going to start. Keep it down. That's where we're going to start. I want you to sing a psalm to the Lord. Sing it in other tongues. Sing in other tongues. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.